0: chapter twelve part three of a common story by ivan Goncharov, translated by constance garnett this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by expatriate in bangor maine chapter twelve part three no anna pavlovna thought without god's aid we shall not be a step forwarder she proposed to alexander that he should drive with her to mass at the nearest church but he slept too late twice and she could not make up her mind to wake him at last one evening she pressed him to come to vespers if you like said Alexander. and they set off his mother went into the church and took her stand near the choir but Alexander remained at the door the sun was already setting and threw slanting rays which played on the golden frames of the images and lighted up the dark and coarse faces of the sacred figures and dimmed by its brilliance the weak and timid twinkling of the candles the church was almost empty the peasants were at work in the fields only a few old women were huddled together in the corner by the entrance their heads wrapped up in white kerchiefs some were sitting on the stone step of the entrances their faces leaning on their hands and now and then they gave vent to loud and grievous sighs whether over their sins or their domestic cares god only can tell others lay a long while on their faces bowed to the ground in prayer a fresh breeze rushed through the iron grating of the window and first lifted the cloth on the altar then played with the gray hair of the priest or fluttered the leaves of the books and blew out the candles the priests and deacons steps resounded loudly on the stone floor in the empty church their voices echoed feebly under the arches of the roof high up in the steeple were jackdaws cawing and sparrows chirruping as they fluttered from window to window and the whirr of their wings and the ringing of bells sometimes drown the sounds of the service so long as a man's vital force is abundant thought Alexander, so long as desires and passions work upon him he is absorbed in sensation he avoids the calm grave and solemn meditations to which religion leads when his strength is broken down and squandered his hopes shattered weighed down by years he hastens to seek consolation in religion then gradually at the sight of the familiar objects memories awakened in alexander's heart he passed in thought through his childhood and youth up to his departure for petersburg he remembered how when he was a child he used to repeat his prayers to his mother how she used to tell him about the guardian angel which stands on guard over the heart of man and is always waging war with the spirits of evil how pointing to the stars she used to say that these were the eyes of god's angels who look down upon the world and keep a reckoning of the good and bad actions of men how the angels weep when the bad seem more than the good in their list and how they are happy when the good outweigh the bad pointing to the blue of the distant horizon she would say that that was zion alexander sighed stirred by these memories the evening service was over Alexander returned home still more depressed than when he started anna pavlovna did not know what to do one day he woke up earlier than usual and heard a noise near his pillow he looked round an old woman was standing over him muttering she at once disappeared as soon as she saw that she was observed under his pillow Alexander found a herb of some sort round his neck was hanging an amulet what does this mean asked Alexander of his mother who was the old woman in my room anna pavlovna was confused it was nikitishna she said what nikitishna she you know my dear you won't be angry but what is it all about tell me she they say can do a great deal if she only whispers over water and breathes on a person asleep everything will go away the year before last put in agrafena the widow sidovitcha was haunted at night by a fiery dragon through the chimney anna pavlovna made a gesture of horror nikitishna continued agrafena charmed away the dragon it left off haunting her well and what became of sidovica inquired Alexander. she was brought to bed of-oh such a wretched black little brat it died two days afterwards Alexander laughed perhaps for the first time since his return to the country where did you pick her up he asked anton ivanitch brought her replied anna pavlovna you are ready to listen to that fool oh sashenka what are you saying aren't you ashamed anton ivanitch a fool how can you bring yourself to say such a thing anton ivanitch he is our friend our benefactor well then take the amulet mamma and give it to our friend and benefactor let him hang it round his neck from that time he took to locking his door at night two three months passed away gradually the solitude the peace the home life with all the material comforts that went with it went some way to restoring Alexander to health and here he was better wiser than any one here he was the idol of all for some miles round and here at every step his soul expanded with peaceful soothing emotions at the aspect of nature the prattle of the stream the whisper of the leaves the cool shade at times the very silence of nature all begot meditation and kindled emotion in the meadows in the garden at home he was haunted by memories of his childhood and youth anna pavlovna sitting sometimes near him seemed to divine his thoughts she helped him to renew in his memory the trifling details of life so precious to the heart Or told him of something he did not remember at all you see those lime trees she said pointing to the garden your father planted them it was not long before you were born i was sitting as it happened on the balcony and looking at him he was working and working away and then he would look at me and the perspiration was streaming on him ah are you there he said that's why i work with so much pleasure and he set to again and that's the little field where you used to play with the children so passionate you were the least thing not to your liking and you'd scream at the top of your voice one day agashka the one who's Kujmi's wife now his hut is the third from the paddock gave you a push somehow and your nose was cut and bleeding such a thrashing your father gave her it was all i could do to beg her off Alexander mentally filled out these memories with others on that seat under the tree he thought i used to sit with sophia and i was happy then and there between the two lilac bushes she gave me the first kiss and all this was before his eyes he smiled at these recollections and used to sit for whole hours on the balcony basking in the sunshine and following it about listening to the singing of the birds the plash of the lake and the humming of unseen insects sometimes he moved over to the window which looked out onto the court and the village street there was a different picture in the style of Teniers full of bustling family life barbos lay stretched in his kennel out of the heat his muzzle lying on his paws dozens of hens were greeting the morning with emulous clucking the cocks were fighting a herd was driven along the street to the meadow sometimes one cow left behind by the herd would low anxiously standing in the middle of the street and looking round her in all directions peasants and women with hoes and scythes over their shoulders go by to their work now and then two or three words of their talk are snatched up by the wind and carried up to the window further off a peasant's cart goes rumbling over the bridge and after it slowly crawls a wagon of hay unkempt white-haired children are strolling about the fields lifting up their smocks looking at this picture Alexander began to understand the poetry of grey skies broken hedges, a gate, earth-stained toil, and the trapaca. His tight-trim coat he exchanged for the wide smock of manual labor. And every incident of this tranquil life, every impression of morning and evening, of meals and of repose, was pervaded by the ever-watchful love of his mother. She could not be thankful enough when she saw that Alexander was growing fatter, that the color had come back to his cheeks, and that a peaceful light was shining in his eyes only his curls do not grow again she said and they were like silk Alexander often took walks about the neighbourhood one day he met a troop of peasant women and girls roaming in the forest after mushrooms so he joined them and spent the whole day with him on his return home he praised one girl masha for her quickness and smartness and masha was chosen in the household to wait on the master he sometimes rode out to look at the field-work and learnt by experience what he had often translated and written about for the journal how many lies i told in it he thought shaking his head and he began to go into the subject more deeply and thoroughly one day in bad weather he tried to occupy himself with work sat down to write and was well pleased with the beginning of his attempt some book was needed for reference he wrote for it to petersburg and it was sent to him he set to work in earnest he wrote for more books to be sent in vain did anna pavlovna try to persuade him not to write not to cramp his chest he would not listen to her she sent anton ivanitch to him Alexander would not listen to him either and continued to write when three or four months had passed and he not only had not grown thin from writing but had grown stouter anna pavlovna's mind was set at rest so passed a year and a half all would have been well but at the end of that period Alexander began to grow melancholy again he had no desires of any kind or at least such as he had were easy to content they did not go beyond the limits of family life nothing agitated him not a care nor a doubt but he was depressed by degrees the narrow round of home life had grown repulsive to him his mother's blandishments bored him and anton ivanitch he detested His work, too, sickened him, and nature could not charm him. He used to sit silently at the window, and now gazed with indifference at his father's lime trees, and listened with irritation to the plash of the lake. He began to reflect on the cause of this new uneasiness, and discovered that he was homesick for Petersburg. Now that he was removed to a distance from the past, he began to regret it. His blood was still hot, his heart was still beating body and soul demanded activity a failure again alas he almost wept over this discovery he thought that this depression would pass that he would grow used to the country would be habituated to it but no the longer he lived there the more his heart sank and was adrift again on the tossing sea he now knew so well he grew reconciled to the past it became dear to him his bitterness his gloomy views his moroseness and misanthropy were softened in his mind to a love of solitude and meditation the past presented itself in a glorified light and even the traitor nadinka was almost irradiated by it and what am i doing here he asked himself in exasperation why should i wither away why should my gifts be wasted what prevents me from shining there by my efforts now i have grown more sensible In what way is my uncle better than i cannot i find out a line for myself even though i have not succeeded so far i attempted what i was not fit for what then i have come to my senses now it's high time i did but my departure would break my mother's heart and yet to go is inevitable i cannot be going to seed here up there so-and-so and and -and so-and-so all have made their way but my career and fortune i alone have remained behind but why what is the reason he cast about in anxiety and did not know how to speak to his mother of his plans of going away but his mother very soon saved him this trouble she died this was what he finally wrote to his uncle and aunt in petersburg to his aunt before i left petersburg ma tante, With tears in your eyes you sent me on my way with some precious words which have remained printed on my memory You said if i should ever want warm affection sincere sympathy there would always remain a niche in your heart for me the moment came when i understood all the value of these words the claims which you so generously gave me on your heart mean for me a guarantee of peace of tranquillity consolation and rest perhaps of happiness for all my life three months ago my mother died i will not add another word you know from her letters what she was for me what i have lost in her i am now leaving here forever but where a solitary pilgrim should i take my way if not to the place where you are tell me only one thing shall i find in you what i left behind a year and a half ago have you not cast me out of your memory Will you consent to the dreary duty of healing with your affection, which has already delivered me more than once from grief, a new and deep wound? All my hopes I rest on you and on another powerful ally, activity. You wonder, do you not? It seems strange to you to hear this from me, to read those lines written in a tranquil strain so unnatural to me. Do not wonder and don't be afraid of my return. You will see not a raving enthusiast, nor a sentimentalist nor a disillusioned cynic nor a provincial but simply a man such as there are many more in petersburg and such as i ought long ago to have become reassure my uncle especially on that score when i look back on my past life i feel uneasy and ashamed both of others and of myself but it could not have been otherwise now only i have recognized my errors at thirty the painful discipline i went through in petersburg and meditation in the country have made my course fully clear to me here removed to a respectful distance from my uncle's lessons and my own experience i have pondered them in tranquillity more clear-sightedly and i see what they ought to have led me to long ago i see how miserably and irrationally i have turned away from the right aim I am now calm i am not torn and harassed but i do not plume myself on this it may be that this calm is even yet the result of egoism i feel however that soon my insight into life will grow clear enough for me to discover another source of peace a purer one at present i cannot still help regretting that i have now reached the boundary where alas youth is over And the time has come for reflection self-control and the restraint of every emotion the time of consciousness though perhaps my opinion of men and of life has changed too a little much of my hopefulness has vanished many of my desires have grown weaker in a word my illusions are dissipated consequently it will not be my lot to be mistaken and deceived in many things or many people and this is very consolatory from one point of view and i look forward to a brighter future the most painful part is past my passions i do not dread for few of them are left the most important are over and i look back on them with thankfulness i am ashamed to remember that i regarded myself as a victim i cursed life and my lot i cursed it what miserable childishness and ingratitude how long i was in seeing that sufferings purify the soul that they make a man tolerable to himself and to others they raise him i acknowledge now that not to have one's shares of sorrows means not to have one's full share in life there are many problems in them the solution of which we shall see perhaps not here i see in these distresses the hand of providence which seems to set man an endless task to strive forward To reach higher than the aim he proposes to himself through hourly conflict with deceitful hopes with tormenting obstacles yes i see how indispensable is this conflict are these emotions to life how life without them would not be life but stagnation slumber the conflict over and life is at an end the man was busy loved was happy suffered was distressed did his work and thus he lived you see how i reason I have come out of darkness, and I see that all my life up till now has been a kind of laborious preparation for the true way, a difficult apprenticeship to life. Something tells me that the rest of the way will be easier, calmer, plainer. The dark places have grown light. Hard knots have unloosed themselves. Life begins to seem a blessing, not an evil. Soon I shall say again how fair a thing is life but i shall say it not as a boy praising the pleasure of the moment but with a full knowledge of its true pleasures and pains moreover death itself is not terrible it presents itself not as a fearful but as a glorious experience and now there is in my soul a sense of unknown peace childish annoyances the sting of wounded vanity puerile irritability and comic anger with the world and men like the anger of a puppy with an elephant all is over i have grown friendly again with those with whom i was so long estranged my fellow-creatures who i may remark in passing are the same here as in petersburg only a little rougher a little coarser a little more ridiculous but i do not lose patience with them even here and there i shall be far from losing patience here is an example of my urbanity for you a ridiculous creature a certain anton ivanitch drives over to me to stay with me to share my sorrow it seems to-morrow he will go to a wedding at a neighbour's to share their joy and then to someone else to share the duties of the monthly nurse but neither sorrow nor joy will hinder him from eating four times a day at every house i see that it is all the same to him whether someone is dead or born or married yet it's not repugnant to me to look at him it does not vex me i just put up with him i don't repulse him it's a good sign isn't it maton what will you say when you read this praise of myself to his uncle dear and beloved uncle and your excellency withal with what delight i learnt that your career had been completed by this dignity you are actually a councillor of state you the director of a chancery office i am so bold as to remind you of the promise you gave me on my departure when you want office employment or money turn to me you said and now here i am in want of office and employment money of course i want as well the poor provincial ventures to beg for a place and work what reception awaits my request is it such a reception as once befell a letter from Zayeshalov, begging you to busy yourself about his lawsuit as to the creative genius of which you had the cruelty to remind me in one of your letters well isn't it too bad of you to bring up long-forgotten follies when i myself blush for them fie uncle for shame your excellency who has not been young and on some points foolish who has not had some strange so-called sacred dream which was never destined to come to anything my neighbour here on the right fancied himself a hero a giant a warrior before the lord he wanted to astonish the world by his exploits and it has all ended in his becoming an ensign on the retired list without ever having seen service and he is peacefully digging potatoes and sowing turnips another one on my left dreamed of reforming russia and the whole world after his own fashion and he after copying deeds for some time in the courts of justice has retired here and so far has not even succeeded in reforming his old fence i thought i had been endowed with creative talent from on high and i wanted to reveal to the world new unknown mysteries not suspecting that there are now no mysteries and i am not a prophet we are all ridiculous but tell me who without a blush for himself will venture to stigmatize as wholly bad these youthful generous ardent though not altogether rational ideals who has not in his time cherished fruitless desires and pictured himself as the hero of a glorious achievement, a song of triumph, a renowned event, whose imagination has not been transported to the heroic times of story, who has not wept, feeling himself great and exalted. If such a manner is to be found, let him throw a stone at me. I do not envy him. I blush for my youthful ideals, but I honour them. They are the guarantee of purity of heart, the sign of a generous spirit inclined to good and was your own youth innocent of these errors remember ransack your memory i can see even here how you shake your head with your calm never embarrassed expression and say no let me convict you for instance as to love you deny it do not deny it the proof is in my hands recollect that i have been able to follow the matter on the scene of action the background of your love affair is before my eyes the lake yellow flowers still grow by it one of them suitably preserved i have the honour of forwarding your excellency enclosed in this by way of a sweet souvenir but i have a more terrible weapon to parry your attacks upon love in general and mine in special a document you frown and such a document are you pale i filch this precious antiquity from my auntie from her no less antique bosom and i shall bring it with me as a perpetual testimony against you and a vengeance for me tremble uncle not only so i know in detail the whole story of your love my auntie relates it to me every day over our morning tea and over supper with every fact of interest and i am putting all these priceless materials into a special memoir i shall not fail to hand it to you in person together with my essays on points of agricultural economy on which i have been busy here for the last year i for my part consider it a duty to assure my auntie of the constancy of your sentiments as she says to her when i am honoured by receiving a favourable reply to my request for your excellency i shall take the liberty of coming to you with propitiatory offerings of dried raspberries and honey and bearing several letters which my neighbors promised to furnish me with, dealing with their several needs, but not one from Zayeshalov, who died before the conclusion of his lawsuit. End of Chapter Twelve. Recording by Expatriate in Bangor, Maine.